My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Johnny Sopachuk and Zandi Dandazet. Being an artist can be a pretty precarious way to make a living. That's always been true, but as austerity continues to take its toll on both arts funding and social supports, things have been getting harder, and that's not even considering the pandemic. In the face of these challenges, artists and cultural workers have limited options in terms of ways to respond to them collectively. While there are already a range of organizations that are at least in some sense of and for artists, there are a lot of gaps in what they do. There is, for instance, Canadian artist representation, Le Front des Artistes Canadiens, or CARFAC, which plays a role in setting minimum standards for artists exhibiting professionally in galleries. Then, there are associations of artist-run centres, though they usually represent not artists or arts workers, but the centres as organisations. And as for artist-run centres, they usually, despite the name, operate as fairly standard and generally underfunded non-profits, with all that implies about hierarchy and about working conditions. So most people who are trying to make a living off of some combination of their own creative practice, gig work, work for non-profits, and other kinds of small contracts in the arts sector, have no real collective organizational home to represent their interests. Johnny Sopachuk is a visual artist, a curator, and a community and labor organizer. While recovering from burnout from his intense involvement in student and labor organizing in Winnipeg, he moved to Vancouver to take sculpture, ceramics, and printmaking at Emily Carr University. Once he graduated, he went back to doing organizing work for unions, and he got a BC Arts Council grant that allowed him to spend a year examining organizing models for artists and cultural workers across North America. He then took what he learned in that project and started talking to people in the arts sector in Vancouver. Zandi Dandazette was one of the first people that he talked to. Dandazette is a new media installation artist and an arts and culture worker. They founded and are executive director of an artist-run center called the James Black Gallery, are the president of the Pacific Association of Artist-Run Centers, and have worked with the BC branch of CARFAC in the past. In the wake of these conversations, Sopachuk, Dandazette, and a number of other artists founded not one, but two new organizations. One is a worker cooperative, meaning a workplace owned and run democratically by its workers, called the Vancouver Artists' Labor Union Cooperative, or Value Co-op. The co-op offers arts and design services of various sorts. It is, first and foremost, a way for its worker owners to make a living wage and not have to live in perpetual precarity. It also embodies a specific ethical and political orientation, with a commitment to anti-oppressive values, to supporting working-class community, and to opposing gentrification. They have, for example, developed a relationship of mutual support with the Lim Sai Hor Kao Mok Benevolent Association, a working-class community organization in the Chinese-Canadian community in Vancouver. They also work to provide infrastructure and support to other artists. The other organization that these artists founded is the Arts and Cultural Workers Union, or ACWU, which in early 2020 became Local B778 of the International Alliance of Stage and Theatrical Employees, or IATSE. 
This means that from the start, value has been not just a worker co-op, but unionized as well. And since then, ACWU has gone on to organize artists and cultural workers in a number of other contexts in BC. IATSE mainly represents workers in the film and TV industries, so it has lots of experience representing workers with unstable and episodic employment. As well, they have existing portable benefit plans far beyond what most small arts sector employers could manage, which means that ACWU also offers a rare opportunity for workers in the sector to access benefits. Sopachuk and Dandazet hope that this organizational model can be taken up broadly across Canada, and there's already been lots of interest from different places. They're happy to talk with people about setting up a worker cooperative, and while the ACWU is focused on supporting existing members at the moment, they're also developing a countrywide organizing strategy that they intend to deploy after the pandemic. I speak with Sopachuk and Dandazet about work in the arts sector, and about the new organizational model for artists and cultural workers offered by Value Co-op and the ACWU. My name is Andy Dandazet, they, them. I am a new media installation artist and uh, arts and cultural worker. I grew up in Portland, Oregon, and I ended up coming up to Vancouver, British Columbia, and going to Emily Carr University for animation. And that's where I was introduced to the ideas of union and labor work. I didn't have a work visa, so I took on working in every part of the school that I possibly could because you could legally work in school, but all the different departments didn't know that I was going over the hours that you legally were allowed to, which is why I was involved in all these different parts of school. And I think being so involved actually supported me in learning more beyond just my practice itself and playing with art, but also like the ways in which we build community and share resources and after school. I ended up building upon the principles of like relationships and how we can do more together than maybe on our own. I founded the James Black Gallery. I'm the president of an association called the Pacific Association of Artist-Run Centers. And I'm one of the co-founding members of Valley Co-op, which is the Vancouver Artist Labor Union Cooperative. We're an organization founded upon anti-oppressive values and believe that artists have the responsibility to bridge barriers and strengthen communities and fight gentrification. Our co-op model is basically about collective ownership and the ability for all of us to work together and build together. Our co-op specifically provides services and helps do sort of like printing with products such as making stickers and buttons and t-shirts and masks. And we really believe in making sure that artists are paid for the work that they do. So we are paid living wages and also our unionized labor. And our products, we try to make sure are as ethically resourced as possible. My name's Johnny Sopachuk. I'm a visual artist, curator, and community and labor organizer working out of Vancouver, British Columbia, the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nation. I originally met Zandi going to school at Emily Carr. I grew up in Winnipeg and I originally went to school and was studying labor studies. I ended up getting burnt out from movement work in Winnipeg. I was really heavily involved in the student movement. I worked for my QP local at the University of Manitoba, and I needed a break and I needed to restart. So I came out to Vancouver to go to school at Emily Carr and took sculpture and ceramics and printmaking. It was a great opportunity to reconnect with my creative practice. And what really brought me back, bringing the two worlds together, was, well, why not I racked up about 50 grand in student debt and I needed to pay that off. So I started working for some labor unions, doing organizing work out here. 
and was really fortunate to have gotten an arts council grant, which allowed me to look at organizing within the arts sector, whether it was through collectives, cooperatives, or unions. And so for over a year, I worked between Vancouver and New York and looked at various forms of organizing models across North America. And through that arts council grant also had the opportunity to bring together a group of artists for conversations about precarity and labor within the arts. And through those conversations, we founded Value Co-op in addition to the Arts and Cultural Workers Union, where I currently serve as president. The Arts and Cultural Workers Union is a brand new union. We were founded as an independent union, but eventually our charter members unanimously voted to join up with IATSE, the International Alliance of Theatrical and Stage Employees, because of their expertise in the freelance world and film and theater. And so they charted a brand new local for us, which helped found Value Co-op, but also extended our organizing outside of our own communities so that we were organizing to deal with issues of income precarity and exploitation in the arts and cultural sector. We were chartered last year. We have a new local that covers the entire province of British Columbia. And in that time during a global pandemic, we've been really fortunate to grow to over 50 members. And then we've organized seven nonprofit art spaces, including Value Co-op. What was the founding process like, that transition from idea to actual functioning organization? The founding members of Value Co-op were the exact founding members of the Arts and Cultural Workers Union. So they were two entities being formed at the same time. We met for probably close to a year before we founded. With a lot of coffee shop meetings, one-on-ones, we then started to put feelers out there into the broader arts community and invited in artists who were friends of friends so that it wasn't just centered around connections that I had or Zandi had. And over a year, those ideas shifted and changed and we settled on creating a worker co-op structure to really center our values and our politics, but to create a space where artists could come and get flexible and sustaining living wage unionized work. I had been doing work for a group called CARFAC, which is Canadian Artist Representation. They set a lot of the minimum fees that artists are supposed to be paid for their work in a gallery setting. They're an association of the artists. I remember seeing Johnny interested in seeing ways in which artists come together. I remember seeing you make a post on Facebook being like, what is out there? And since I was working for CARFAC, I thought it would be really great to connect. And that's, for me, the starting point on us being like, okay, what needs to happen? What is missing? What are like the basic principles and structures that we need to make this happen? What isn't working in some of the like models that currently exist? So being a part of PARC, for example, you know, PARC is specifically about artist-run centers. And I would say more so the entities of the artist-run centers. And so a lot of the work that I do with PARC is on behalf of artist-run centers in British Columbia, but you don't really see that in the format of like the cultural workers themselves in support of them. And then when you see something like CARFAC, CARFAC is thinking about artists in the context of galleries, but what about freelance gig workers, right? So there's like this missing component in how artists are supported in our systems right now. A part of our conversations were looking at existing labor structures, whether they were formalized unions or informal associations like CARFAC, 
and acknowledging the great work that has been done historically and still is being done by those organizations, but also looking at the gaps. Mm -hmm. So part of why we created a worker co-op was because many of our members have worked for nonprofit galleries or artist-run centers, and we've seen how problematic those structures can be. They're re-implementing hierarchies in terms of like ownership and there's issues of exploitation, low wages, lack of benefits, a lack of portable benefits. And with Carfac, it's a system that's been designed for artists who are exhibiting professionally. And for many artists, those opportunities are at a premium. They're not widely available. So for most artists who are trying to make a living off of their creative practice, they're working gig work and they're working for nonprofits and they're working on small contracts. So a part of our exploration and our initial conversations were we needed to create a structure that both supported artists in those types of whether they were formal or informal workplaces, but we also then needed to challenge the ways that some of those workplaces were running, specifically in the nonprofit art sector and in the artist-run environment. What do the core activities of the co-op look like? We have a few different working groups. We do have a board, but obviously our board is made up of the worker owners of the co-op. We have a sales working group who navigates like outreach as well as order coordination and just like facilitating the process of a sale and relationship with the client. And then we have our production studio group who see out the process of the product being made and also shipping out the product. But the products are there to facilitate us as an organization having the financial support to do more than just make products. We want to be able to fund our living wages and sustainability and be able to navigate in and out of not having precarious work, basically. However, we also have working groups that are about community engagement, so giving back to the area that we are located in and associated with. Our production studio is in the downtown east side, but it's in a pretty remarkable building. The Benevolent Limb Association is the group who owns the building, and they are some of the original and core Chinese families who were located in Chinatown and still are located in Chinatown. And the top of this building has this beautiful shrine to their elders, as well as all of this heritage and enriched like culture. However, their building needs support and work. And so what we've done is we've worked on getting Heritage Canada grants in order to help support them getting the things done that they want to do to keep their building running. The work of writing grants is not fun. It's not accessible. This is something that a lot of artists have been learning to do and are ways that we can like give back and support this group who has supported us having space in such a precarious environment as Vancouver. So we have a working group who focuses also on grants. And so how can we write grants in which we can support doing really neat projects? Can we support other artists in their practice? And so we try to figure out ways in which us as a group, not just like a business, but how we can support arts and infrastructure as a whole. The entire goal of the co-op is to provide income opportunities for members, centering the needs of our members, but also the community we live in. So the co-op is a for-profit enterprise. I really don't like the word business and I don't like the word profit. I use enterprise and surplus, and it may seem like semantics, but I think it's a really important distinction that the co-op is grounded in community and it's grounded to support our members. 
founding a for-profit enterprise allows us as a cooperative to access business development funding and grants that are designed to give jobs to people. We've been really successful, like Zandi was saying, in getting grants to help support the Limb Association. And for folks who aren't aware, benevolent associations are forms of working people organizations. And they were created in the early 1900s when a lot of Chinese laborers weren't allowed to join unions and they weren't provided with citizenship. So during the pandemic, so in our first year of operation, we did about $100,000 in sales through the co-op. And that was to labor unions, progressive political parties, artists arts organizations and progressive community organizations. And so we helped support mutual aid projects around the pandemic. We were able to work with a BIPOC doula collective off of Vancouver Island, where we're creating socially and ethically just campaign materials or merchandise that helps support those movements. So through connecting with the co-op, organizations are able to access really talented graphic designers or screen printing artists. We've just launched a brand brand new stream where we have members who are media artists who are doing video work for campaigns and organizations. All of the profit or surplus goes back into the co-op, which is then redirected into the community through the Limb Association or various community projects, and ultimately to support the members of the co-op in achieving benefits higher than a living wage and other forms of supports for their individual and collective arts practices. What can you tell me in general terms about the members of the co-op? We are probably close to 20 members of the co-op, some of which are working part-time, others are working more casual, and then there's a group of co-op members who work full-time, but you know we believe in the model, so we take on small projects with the co-op. I was really proud when we came together as a group and we realized that we weren't representative of the arts community in Vancouver. We are primarily a white group of artists, so we expanded our membership. And we now are over 50% of our membership, including leadership, identifies as Indigenous, Black, or people of color. The majority of our members are young people under 30, women and non-binary. We have a huge contingent who identify as queer. And I should say artists and expand that to cultural workers because a number of our members don't identify as artists. They're Indigenous cultural workers and healers and facilitators, and they just haven't seen themselves represented in the arts community. So we take an expansive view on who an artist is or who identifies as an artist and cultural practitioner, and we invite folks to work with us and collaborate with us. So what about the union? What's the process been like of it expanding beyond just members of the co-op? There were 17 charter members who are all members of Value Co-op. We've since expanded. Once we did our public launch and put up our website, we generated a fair bit of interest in the broader arts community in Vancouver. And we were contacted by a number of arts administrators who work for nonprofit organizations in Vancouver, and they were dealing with issues of wage insecurity, sometimes some pretty atrocious working conditions with management or their board. And so we started organizing in a traditional union organizing sense. What kinds of things can the union do for the workers at arts nonprofits, the freelancers, the artists, the cultural workers who are members? It depends on the context of the institution. 
It's not this adversarial relationship. The union is always going to center the needs of the workers, and we're always going to deal with issues of exploitation or issues of bad management. But at the end of the day, the workers and the union recognize that there's always limited funding for these arts organizations. Part of the benefits we bring is that by working together with IATSE, we can actually access really fantastic health and dental plans that are essentially subsidized by the bigger locals through the really profitable film industry. And to a certain extent, outside of the pandemic, the more stable theater sector, which is a form of cultural work that receives a lot of funding from government and the private sector. So through IATSE, our workers actually have access to cheaper health and dental plans and more stable health and dental plans than these small arts nonprofits are able to afford. These are portable plans that we are building that members can take with them from employer to employer. And often we see that arts workers and artists are, you know, toiling away in their studio alone. There's very few communal spaces where artists can get together and congregate. And so part of the union is bringing artists and art workers together to talk about their rights and to provide them with support when their rights are violated. A part of what we're doing is starting to challenge this idea that arts work and creative labor is in the form of work. Artists deserve to be compensated and they deserve to be paid for their time. And if an organization can afford to pay for other forms of labor or other forms of contract, they should be paying their artists and they should be paying their artists a living in industry-wide wage. In the context of value co-op specifically, everyone is a member of both the co-op and the union. Why is it important to have both? What are the respective roles of these two differently democratic organizations? So the union was the instigating organization of value co-op. We help the members, and when I say we, that's both the ACWU and our resources through IATSE International, on negotiating mm -hmm. their first collective agreement. So it was this interesting process where we actually negotiated with ourselves around, you know, what could the co-op afford to pay? What kind of terms and conditions did we want? And then we set some milestones in terms of a future wage and future structure. The union helped with health and safety resources accessing expert resources through the broader union and I would say the broader labor movement. Now that the co-op is self-functioning and we're still getting there as a group, the union is there as a support. So we funnel new potential members into the co-op. We are there to support the co-op with conflict resolution internally. So it's not the common way you look at the union because the workers are the owners. But even with the removal of owners who are profiting off of the labor of the workers, we're still going to see conflict and we're still going to see power dynamics emerge. So the union really there is to help balance the interest inside the cooperative, it's to help deal with conflict, it's to help access expert resources externally, and it's there to help the co-op move along because the co-op's success is our members' success. And it really has become this model that we're seeing starting to grow. And we're actually regularly feeling interest from artists across Canada who are interested in value co-op as a model and forming their own co-ops in their communities under the ACWU. 
And when we achieve some milestones in terms of member base, we'll be able to launch a health and dental portable plan that will be available to Value Co-op and all of the members there. We have access to the international training program through IATSE, so our members are developing some specific training programs to the nonprofit art sector. There's also access to the Canadian Entertainment Industry RRSP plan, which is a pooled plan through IATSE, which is not a pension plan, but it's one of the first forms of benefits plans that's going to be available in the nonprofit art sector. So there will be these concrete services that are available to Value Co-op. And I always look at the union being Value Co-op's arm into the broader arts community. So the co-op was created to give jobs to artists, but not just the artists that are in the co-op. It was about to change conditions in the arts community. And the co-op doesn't have the ability to do that as a legal structure, the union does. So they work together in tandem and partnership. What's coming up for the co-op and for the union? The co-op and the union have been in survival mode, just as so many arts communities and our broader community has been. We're dealing with the effects of the pandemic. The work of the co-op slowed down over the pandemic. And so that's created challenges in terms of the ability or opportunities for work for the members. We did have to do some hours reductions, reductions in some of the services, but we are seeing that things are returning. Two of the projects that are upcoming through the co-op that get me really excited is one, we've received a whole bunch of funding providing co-op members with paid opportunities to work with the Limsai Horikau Moth Benevolence Association to help activate their archives and digitize it and to do some art activations. But the really exciting one through Value Co-op is we received a grant through the Vancouver Foundation in partnership with PeerNet BC, looking at Value Co-op and arts precarity and creating worker co-ops as a model to deal with precarity in the art sector. So it's a fairly significant grant that opens us up to about six years of sustained funding to help grow the model outside of value and bring more artists in to create worker co-ops. And that's both in Vancouver and across BC. And then on the union side of things, we've been really focused right now on supporting our existing members. We have three groups of workers that are currently in bargaining for their first collective agreements. The exciting initiative on the long-term horizon is we have had interest from across the country. We have groups of workers in Calgary and Winnipeg and Toronto and throughout Nova Scotia who are interested in the work we're doing through the ACW and potentially opening up locals in their own communities. So we are developing a national organizing plan. I don't suspect we will be in a position to launch that type of organizing drive until after the pandemic. That could be exciting because we know that the issues that arts workers face are not just unique to Vancouver and the lower mainland in BC. They exist across Canada. You have been listening to my interview with Johnny Sopachuk and Zandi Dandazet of both Value Co-op and the Arts and Cultural Workers Union. To learn more about both organizations, go to valuecoop.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. 
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.